but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast on the 28th of October. Here today, I'm CJ Baumgartner, and we're breaking in all of the latest in Minnesota sports for this, again, the 28th of October here today. And let's start with the Minnesota Vikings here for today. And we'll get to the Wolves in a second, but because the Wolves are, they're a big story with an impressive win against Milwaukee last night. But I first want to talk about the Vikings here. And I want to talk about uh, the issue now of Dak Prescott uh, has been kind of lingering around. Uh, He kind of, kind of, he he had his first media availability, I should say. He had an opportunity to kind of dispel the rumors and say, yep, I'm playing, I'm playing. And he kind of was like, yeah, if it's a playoff game, I feel like I could play right now. And it's kind of maybe him thrown out there that like, you know, I'm not 100% and I don't feel like I need to really go out there right now. We're going to win the AFC or we're going to win the NFC East hands down, like walking away, like the Giants, the team, and Philadelphia. I mean, Dallas is going to walk away with this one. Playoff seeding, maybe, but with the one seed, you basically have to be the best team. Now, I know the Cowboys only have one loss, but if you're Dallas, maybe you do sit Dak for a game and say it's better to keep him healthy, even though I'm not not to say that they're light playing the Vikings or kind of poo-pooing them, but at the same time, it's saying, you know what, we'd rather have him for a game in October than a game. We'd rather, instead of having him for a game in October, we'd rather have him in a game in December, in January, you know, all that kind of stuff. We want to keep him healthy. But Dak has had two weeks to nurse on this thing, and now it's just kind of circulating. Now, if you want my honest opinion, I think Dak Prescott is going to play on Sunday. I think this is, it's still Thursday of a Sunday night game. They still have plenty to talk about. And, you know, he's the calf strain has been the issue. He looked good in practice Wednesday, according to Mike McCarthy. I think that it's just, you know, Dak just kind of trying to slow cook everything and say, you know what, like it's, don't worry about everything. You know, it's a, if it's a playoff game, I could play today. Yeah, you know, everything's fine. Just got to give it a little bit of time. I, I think he's going to play. Now, I could be wrong, and maybe it's just me saying, and I know there are some Vikings fans who are out there saying, well, if Dak doesn't play, that means we're going to win. And, uh, yeah, Dak didn't play last year, and the Vikings still lost, by the way. And I, I just think that, and Dallas is better than they were last season. Now, whether that's because of Dak or whether it's because Trayvon Diggs is playing out of his mind or or whatever, but all I'm saying is Vikings fans, I don't wish that your opponent be taken lightly or don't wish that your opponent come in without their starting quarterback because then when they beat you, it looks a whole heck of a lot more embarrassing. Uh, Chase Daniel with the Bears, Andy Dalton last year with, uh, with the Cowboys and that kind of thing, uh, but I just I think Dak Prescott's going to play. I think that that's the way that this is trending. I mean, I I think it's just him saying I think it's just him being honest. He's not as healthy as he wants to be, but you know what? It's good enough to play on and he's going to have to kind of figure it out. And Dallas, when you look at the Cowboys' schedule here, when you look at Dallas's uh when you look at their schedule over the next few games, you know, are they saying, "Well, maybe we sit him against the Vikings?" They're playing the Broncos, the Falcons next. So it's not like they're like, okay, well, we have the the Packers next, we have Tampa Bay next, or we have you know th- these other juggernauts 
of teams. And honestly, they have the Chiefs that don't look as impressive as they have earlier in the season. Then you have the Raiders at home. And then if you're the Cowboys, you go to take on the Saints. You really have a favorable schedule going the rest of the way forward. So I don't think Dallas is really worried about seeding. I don't think they're worried. You look at their remaining schedule, they have nobody. This Cowboys schedule, I'm looking at it here. Broncos, Falcons, Chiefs, maybe we'll give them an L just for the sake of it. Raiders, maybe that's a win. Saints, then you have the team, the Giants, Washington again. Arizona is about the only tough, really. Arizona, Kansas City are the two games that you're going to say, okay, those are tough. Cow Raiders and Saints are ones where you're going to say those. Maybe your toss-ups, you're expected to win that, but you know, it's not a guarantee, but I mean, this schedule right now for the Cowboys looks very, very good. So it's not like they're playing Arizona next week where they really want to save Dak. I, I, I think that Dak is going to play. I really think that's the case. And if they put him on a vanilla game plan, I still think they probably think that that's better than the alternative. So I know there's this stuff swirling around that, oh my gosh, Dak might not play. Dak might not play. And honestly, I, the Cowboys backup quarterback. I read his name earlier. The point is, is it's not important who his name is. He's a nobody. They don't have an Andy Dalton. They don't have a, they don't have any kind of backup option this year outside of some just kind of developmental guys. So it's not even worth bringing it up unless of course they win, in which case we'll be saying it a lot. But I, I don't think Dak Prescott's going to play in this game. I wouldn't hold my breath that maybe the Vikings would get lucky and get to play the backup quarterback, which by the way, the year the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, the Vikings played the Chiefs and backup quarterback Matt Moore, guess what happened? So I'm Vikings fans, I don't know, don't hold your breath is all I'm trying to say. The backup quarterback has gotten, has bit this team more ways than once. So just, you might as well play deck. If you want to be considered a legitimate playoff contender anyways, why are you hoping that your team's bet, that the, your opponent's best player doesn't play? You should be good enough to beat them anyways. Now the answer is the Vikings defense right now with, uh, with how banged up their receiving or their secondary is, could really use the boost, but at the same time, if you want to be considered in a legitimate playoff contender, not a seven and nine or not a nine and seven Bears or eight and eight Bears or whatever it was last year, where Mitch Trubisky wins the MVP, uh, you know the Nick valuable player, the what was it, the most valuable player, but it's for Nickelodeon, so the Nickelodeon valuable player, whatever you wanna, whatever you wanna say, it was a gag. Because they knew that the Bears weren't a good, they knew the Bears weren't a playoff team. They knew they weren't a legitimate playoff team. The Vikings could get into the playoffs, but so could the Falcons. And we all know the Falcons are nowhere near from competing. So it's in. A, if you want to win, if you want to actually be truly considered a playoff contender and a legitimate team in the playoffs, you might as well be Dallas. Yeah, the the chips are against you. You don't have the secondary you want, and this isn't even a Kirk Cousins thing. This is just a Vikings thing generally. That doesn't just excuse you a loss. This is the NFL. You should still be expected to win every game you play. Even if you're not the betting favorite, the, every any given Sunday, your team should still have a chance. And if the Vikings fans are going to say, well, we had no secondary, and we had no this, and we had no that, and I'm sorry, th those excuses don't work anymore. You're going to have to, even though you are going without like a right hand, you're still going to have to figure it out because this is the NFL, and if you want to be taken seriously with the rest of the NFC with the Buccaneers and the Rams and the Cardinals and the Cowboys and the Packers of the world, you're going to need to win a game like this, and it's going to get a lot harder. But taking a look at the Vikings, that's my biggest thing. Just don't bank on Dak Prescott not playing. I know the rumors are swirling. I still say Dak plays. I really don't think there's a situation where where he doesn't. Okay, so there's 
another uh, breaking, uh, not breaking news, but there's another developing news story, I should say, in the world of the NFL, which is that Melvin Ingram, the pass rusher for the Pittsburgh Steelers, signed there in the offseason. I know some Vikings fans, some Vikings analysts were saying, you know, Melvin Ingram to the Vikings wouldn't be a terrible fit. The Vikings needed edge rushing. That was before they brought in Everson Griffin back. And he ended up going to the Steelers on a one-year deal. Now he wants out. And there was a deal that uh, Kansas City was going to offer for him, but the Steelers are not really in favor of that because they don't want to trade him within the conference because there's a good chance the Steelers still play the Chiefs in the playoffs and you don't want to trade away one of your own players to a team that could potentially end your season. So they got to trade him to an NFC team. Now, I'm going to make you the case for why the Vikings should trade for Melvin Ingram. Now, I know Spielman already traded a fourth-round pick. Probably unlikely he trades another pick. Uh, especially because Melvin Ingram would probably net about a fourth or fifth round pick. Maybe you get a couple seventh rounders for him, but I feel like Spielman would rather go up a third round pick instead. But here's the case for why the Vikings should trade for Melvin Ingram, even though they won't. And I know Everson Griffin's been playing better, and I know that they traded Stephen Weatherly because they like the depth behind him. But Melvin Ingram is better than Stephen Weatherly, even though he's not having that great of a season. But here's the thing. You could always use extra pass rushers. They traded Weatherly away because they knew that they weren't getting anything from him. George Payton was a guy who used to work with the Vikings right under Spielman, so it's kind of Spielman sliding his guy a bone and all that kind of stuff. But the whole thing is, should they trade for Melvin Ingram? I say the Vikings should. You can always use extra pass rushers, as we just said. The secondary is banked up, and we talked about it a couple days ago. Yeah, they could bring in Vernon Hargraves. But bringing in a new corner is always kind of shaky. They really don't get their footing until they're here for a few weeks. And honestly, you need immediate help right now. By the time he gets acclimated, Patrick Peterson's about ready to come back. So it doesn't doesn't really help you with the amount of assets you have to give up. So the really, the secondary banged up, it's hard to bring in a new corner. So why not take the pressure off of the secondary by adding more pressure help in the pass rush? Why not do it that way? That's always the easiest way to take pressure off your secondary is to have a good pass rush to mean less time for the quarterbacks to throw. They're not able to set as easily. They're not as comfortable. It means they can't throw the ball around as much. They can't get in as good a placement. And then your corners can take advantage of that. And that's why I think the Vikings secondary, I know they struggled a lot last season and they weren't good. But the reason that they also struggled is they had to cover for so dang long because the pass rush, was, I mean, non-existent. They had the leading sack, the leading guy in sacks for the Vikings played three games for them and led the team in sacks all year. So, I, I mean, when you look at the Vikings last, uh, the last couple of years, if they get more pass rush, it helps out the secondary. That's kind of been a little, uh, little, uh, not up to snuff it would be the light way of putting it. Also, the Vikings are an NFC team. And so, you know, maybe it's a late round pick. Maybe it's a sixth round pick. Maybe it's a couple sixes. You just send it over. Pittsburgh just at least get some value back for a guy that's on a one-year deal anyways. And then the Vikings can bring in a guy who wouldn't be as expensive. Now, there's some salary cap implications, I'm sure. But knowing Spielman and Brzezinski, I think that if it's for one player, it's not like he's making $20 million. They'll figure out a way to make it work for Melvin Ingram if they really wanted him there. So I think that it'd be a way just to add one more pass rusher. Obviously, he's better than uh, – obviously, Melvin Ingram is better than Stephen Weatherly. So it's just another veteran you can throw in there, another guy. I know you don't want to, you know, get too many guys in front of your younger players, but 
when you're a team that has their secondary in as bad a shape as they are, why not try and beef up the pass rush to try and make it better on them? So that's the thing with with that, with the Vikings. Uh, Another thing I want to add quickly on Minnesota is that there was this article that I finally have gotten to here. There's just been some breaking news stuff, or, you know, what about them Wednesdays and all all this kind of stuff. We really didn't get a good chance to talk about this article. This is from about a week ago, and it says that the Vikings are, in fact, not chokers. And it says, despite the fun narrative, they're better in the fourth quarter than you may think. This is an article from Deadspin. I'm not the biggest Deadspin guy. I don't, like, hate them, but I'm not, like, I'm not as big into them as maybe other people are. I mean, it's a fine website, but... Here's an article from them. It talks about, it says, uh, what is choking? It says the belief that a certain team or player cannot hold a lead, cannot win close games, and almost any time a win is being handled, to, handed to them on a silver platter, they cannot finish off their opponents. You know, more specifically, blame going to Kirk Cousins, who's been labeled as a choker for years, Blair Walsh with the missed kick, and then, you know, the missed kicks, um, blown leads, Stefan Diggs going to the Bills, and, you know, even with things like the Minneapolis Miracle, the Vikings are still considered chokers, especially in the field goal realm. You see a lot of people on Twitter talking about how the Vikings can't make kicks and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, over the last half decade, the Vikings haven't been a choke artist at all, says this guy from Deadspin. And he says, ever since the Blair Walsh missed kick, the Vikings are 45-0 and when going into the fourth quarter with a lead. 45 wins, zero losses. Does that sound like a team that can't hold a lead, is what the, this guy says. And Fact check true. I mean, the Vikings are 45-0 when they have a lead in the fourth quarter. And the Vikings have had more impressive come-from-behind victories in the fourth quarter than blown victories is what this guy attests, saying the week two of the 2019 season, the Vikings came down from 13 to Green Bay to force a tie with the Packers. And it wasn't a win, but that lone tie after trailing in the fourth shows that the Vikings have been statistically better at getting wins while trailing in the fourth quarter than blowing wins in the fourth quarter. And uh, and here, here's some other things, I guess, that the, the, the article assesses. is that It says, you know, it isn't perfect when leading going into the fourth, and it says Tom Brady, who's had two such losses in the last four seasons, uh, and Aaron Rodgers has two as well. Russell Wilson has five where they were leading in the fourth quarter and ended up losing. And nobody considers Wilson, Rodgers, or Brady chokers. Nobody says that their teams are cursed, and the Vikings have been better at holding fourth-quarter leads, despite all the the shuffling at quarterback, by the way, since 2017 with Keenum and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Viking kickers have missed the brutal game-winning kicks, and uh, you know it just goes to talking about uh, the Vikings' kicking situation, which is really, I think, the big issue, which is what uh, they're talking about. Um, and it says. Uh, it says, I know Vikings kickers have missed some brutal game-winning kicks recently, and this past Sunday against the Panthers was brutal to watch, but the Vikings won that game. They didn't blow it. And here's the thing. I agree that, yeah, the Vikings aren't necessarily chokers in terms of falling apart. Now, this year they've been weird, but they've been losing in those games. Like Cincinnati, they were losing, and they, they should have won that game. They choked it. It's not necessarily – I think it's just the framing of how you frame choking. And the thing is – is in uh, is in this article, the guy really doesn't mention field goal kickers, and that's really what the heart of the article is. Or that's really what the heart of the conversation is when the Vikings choke. Nobody's talking that Kirk Cousins is a choker. Kirk Cousins, they say, just 
I shouldn't say in terms of blowing a lead. They say Kirk Cousins is a choker in terms of that he can't get the game-winning drive. And I'm not saying that that's true. I'm saying the general perception. But the biggest thing is always the kickers because they can't make a field goal. I think it's the kicking that's been so bad. And in this article, they don't even really address it. So I'm, you know, here's the argument from this guy. You guys decide for yourselves that the Vikings are really chokers. I'm not saying that they are. All I'm just saying is if uh, a Vikings kicker says, I'm here to help, uh, know that uh, we're in trouble. So there's that article that I finally got out of the way. It was an interesting premise, but, uh, you know, I, I can't say that I would 100% agree with it. I don't think the Vikings are chokers, but I definitely don't think that they're not chokers in that sense. I don't think they're Atlanta Falcons level blowing leads, but they are uh, they are pretty good at missing kicks when it counts. So there's uh, there's that. All right, let's talk about now about the Minnesota Timberwolves here. And I've been itching to get to this one now that we've plowed through all of our football stuff here. And my one message, as soon as I, I, I didn't get a chance to watch the game beginning to end, I kind of caught it towards the end of the fourth quarter, but had a chance to kind of rewatch some bits and kind of soak in what happened last night. And hallelujah, this was the game that we've been looking for. This is the game that Timberwolves fans have wanted, I mean, for years, but to get it this early in the season, this is a statement win. Wins against Houston, yeah, wins against New Orleans. You're expected to beat those teams, and they're nice. And your team, you know, opening game of the season, you clobber Houston, and that's nice. But, you know, you're expected to clobber Houston. They are not good. They're not going to be good. They're going to tank. But you're playing the defending champions on their home court early in the season, and you haven't won in Milwaukee since Rick Adelman was the head coach, and they were signing checks to Andre Kirilenko. That's the last time you won in Milwaukee. And for them to come in there and win, Carl Anthony Towns has never won in Milwaukee. For them to come in in a playoff atmosphere, they've never won at the Pfizer Forum. And by the way, the Milwaukee Bucks have never, uh, this was the first game at the Pfizer Forum where Milwaukee had never had the lead all game. That's how dominant of a performance it was for the Timberwolves last night. And you know who was lead? I know Carl Anthony Towns had a good post-game interview and everybody was really loving that. I like Cat, so I'm not... It's not about cap, but you know who really won yesterday? You know who was the big winner out of yesterday's game? Anthony Edwards. And, you know, Vanderbilt. We'll get to him in a second. But, uh, I mean, just you look at you look at this entire game, and, uh, you know, I I, I just, I, I don't know. I, like, I don't know how to feel about this one. This is a legitimately good win. Now it's one win, and they've looked good in other sports, like the game against Denver at the, after the trade deadline in 2019. There's just a couple games where, like, they do this flash in the pan, and you want to see more consistently from them, but this is what you want. Carl Anthony Towns had 25 points. You look at Anthony Edwards, he had 25 points. D'Lo showed up, he had 29 points. And you look at this game, and it's it's just your stars showed up, and everybody kind of took notice. Kendrick Perkins on Twitter was saying, you know, the Wolves got a, a decent kind of little three going on. They're not a big three, but this is their main three guys. And it's Towns, Russell, Edwards. And I think it's more Towns and Edwards plus D'Lo. There's a difference. But I still think that they these guys can, when they're on their peaks, these guys can run with anybody in the NBA. It's just how can you how often can you get them to play at that level? But Anthony Edwards, I think, was the biggest winner in this game. Man, that guy's mentality. 
just, I mean, he drops, first of all, he drops stellar quote after stellar quote. You want to know why the media love covering Anthony Edwards? He gives them sound bites that are just amazing. He's not just a BSer. He just gives good sound bites. He gives, you can tell he's 19. He's, or 20 now, I should say. He's raw. He's got that raw energy. He doesn't really, he's not like a 27 year old who knows like, okay, well, I got to be calculated when I talk to the media because he's a guy who's legitimately saying what he thinks. And it's, it's great. I, I love it. He talks about guarding Giannis and saying words that even though it's a podcast, they still just don't really want to say on this podcast. Uh, but it's, it's fun. Anthony Edwards makes this fun and the mentality, the dude is just a dog. I mean, you look at the, the move that he had on Chris Middleton going to his left, by the way, to end the game, to put it on ice with the and one. I mean, just for him to do that at age 20, just to put the game in his hands and say, I'm going to take this one to the rim and to not only that, but to get it to execute. I mean, we could have all saw where Edwards goes to the rim, doesn't get it. And then the Bucks get it. They tie the game, go into overtime and lose. And then we say, well, Ant took a nice shot. And that was a, that's a good thing for him. But no, this is a great thing for him. He put it in. He has the confidence to do it going to his left. And I, I don't know. I, I could gush about Anthony Edwards for an entire podcast. And here's the thing. Well, we talked about with Edwards. Anthony Edwards' development determines how far they go this season. It really does. Because the Timberwolves, we know Cat's good. We know D'Lo's good. But we know that they can't carry a team in the sense of Cat isn't this. And again, this isn't a knock on Cat. I keep saying that because I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm, I'm ragging on Carl Anthony Towns. But he's just not going to be the rah-rah leader. He's not going to be the guy to get all the boys behind him and go. I think he's a guy people like to play for. They like to be teammates with him. But he's not a rally the troops kind of guy. And you know what? That's fine. Because you know who is a rally the troops kind of guy? Anthony Edwards. Let him grow into that. Let him... Carl Anthony Towns is the best player on the Wolves, by far. But he can continue to be that, get his, and then be done. And Anthony Edwards can be the one that's, you know, jumping up and down. He can be the one that's talking to the media all the time. He can be the one that's doing that. And it's fine, because when Jimmy Butler was here, he was the one doing that. Butler was. But he was always annoyed by it. He wanted Cat to be somebody who he wasn't. Anthony Edwards is younger than Cat, so he's like, you know what? Cat can be him. I'm going to be me, and here's what we're going to do, and we're going to make it work. I just really like the, I, again, the Timberwolves, they have a lot of flaws in the roster. They're undersized, the rotations, there's issues. But they didn't just play well. They didn't just outscore the Bucs. They won 113-108 or something like that. But they won because they held them down on defense. And that was the biggest thing. You look at this game, you look at, uh, you know, we take a dive into the stats for this game. The Wolves shot about 47% from the field. That's good. They shot 28% from three. Not not solid, but you can live with it. And they out-rebounded the Bucs 49-43 in the game. And I, I, I know, and here's the thing, I know they also had points in the paint. They beat Milwaukee in that 44-38 against Giannis's team. Uh, they created 17 turnovers, which again, just the defensive effort was unreal. And I know that Milwaukee had some guys banged up. They were running out their perfectly healthy squad. But at the same time, you don't apologize for that. The old Wolves would have let them hang around and then go into overtime. And then maybe you win, but you probably lose. And you say, oh, well, we put up a good fight. And this is a team that's like, hey, they didn't have everybody in their lineup today. Let's take it to them. And they did it and they won. Now Giannis still played, but it was a few of the minor guys. But I mean, you still look at the at the Wolves. This is a signature win. This is a probably Chris Finch's best win as a head coach. Probably. 
Like, I, I don't – nothing really comes to mind that makes me think, boom, standout win. But to go into Milwaukee and to win and to do it in the way you did and put the whole league on notice of, you know, we might not be contenders for a title, but we're not going to be an easy out. And I think that's got to be the logistical next step, the logical next step, the whatever next step you want to use is the Wolves going from circle win team, as Peyton Manning used to say, where, you know, the coaches are looking through their schedules and like, oh, we're playing Minnesota next week. All right, well, that's a win. And you know, you look at, they're not a circle win team anymore, at least that they shouldn't be treated. At least the way that they're playing, they shouldn't be treated as such. But I, I don't know. It's I, – I, I don't know how to feel about this Wolves team because, again, they have the talent. I want to sit here and say, boom, they're a chance to not only make the play-in tournament, but they have a chance to get like a six seed, a five seed, be kind of in the in the thick of things. They're still undersized. They still have some issues. They still got some stuff to work out. Probably a year or two. Give them some more time. Give Gupta some more time to kind of work through this roster. But they got some pieces, so don't uh, don't forget about that. All right, now let's take a look here and let's – talk about the uh let's talk about the minnesota wild here in this game uh or they have a game against seattle tonight their first time at the uh is it the climate it, it's something like the climate healthy or uh it's some some uh some earth name uh, some earth name i'm trying to think of the climate uh, impact arena or something like that uh, um trying to think of the name let me search it here climate pledge arena there we go in seattle the seattle sky play there the wnba team and now the kraken and crack house i heard is a name for the stadium and you know what i, I could get down with that that's kind of a funny funny name uh i mean crack in generally you just got a bunch of stuff that your toilet humor or just junior high humor really can go to uh really can go to town on with that but uh but looking at the Seattle Kraken here in this game, it's the Wild's first ever matchup with Seattle. It's in Seattle. Now, former Wild, uh, you got Carson Soucy out there as well. And uh, for Seattle, he lost him in the expansion draft. But the biggest question with the Minnesota Wild is, and this has been kind of circulating throughout the last week, half a week, whatever you want to say, is should the Wild be worried about Kaprizov's slow start? And I would say no. And I know uh, there's a lot of ambulance chasers and there's a lot of people who are, you know, ready to put the red flag emoji all over their Twitter bios over Kirill Kaprizov. But at the same time, I don't think, I think it's not worth worrying about Kaprizov because one, it's still early in the season. People are talking about the contract being hung over his head. I don't, I don't think that that's true. I, I don't think really he's thinking about the contract. I think he's just going to play his game and he just hasn't got off to the start he wanted to. There's been no goals, but he has been getting some assists, by the way. and. One thing that I think is the most important part of Kirill Kaprizov is the Wilds are one of the best teams in the league, with Kirill Kaprizov being ice cold, as some people want to label him. So how good can the Wild be when Kaprizov starts heating up? And that's the question I want to know. I don't want to say, oh, Kaprizov, you know, it's bore, it's that tired and wired. The tired take is Kaprizov isn't playing up to his contract. The wired is, what happens when he does? Because when he does... This team is going to be one of the more unstoppable teams in the league, considering, uh, and that is assuming that they keep up at least to the same general area of pace that they're at right now with how well they're playing. And so I think that it's a, I think it's a really good opportunity for Minnesota to say, you know what, Kaprizov isn't playing well, but everybody else is. And when everybody else kind of regresses back to the mean a little bit, then you hope that Kaprizov goes back to his level as well 
and then you can kind of just keep rolling. I, I, I'm not worried about Kaprizov. He still has the assists. He still is flying around the ice. He still is making plays and all a couple of weird penalties. But but I, I, I like a real Kaprizov. I like my chances with him. And you know what? I'm, you know, the same people who are waiting for him to get signed that extension are now saying, oh, he's not playing up to his contract. Don't worry about it. Don't freak out. Don't overreact. Just keep working your way through it. He's you know, Kaprizov is he's hasn't played real well as of now. Really like, hasn't had that kind of oh my gosh, we're paying you nine million dollars a year kind of thing. But he'll break out with like a three goal game and then it'll shut everybody up and then we'll be done. Now, does that happen today, next week, next month? I don't know. But the, the, we all know that the way that this conversation is going to go is oh my gosh, Kirill Kaprizov, he's you know he's not playing up to the level of his contract and then he's going to have a three goal game and then everybody's just going to be done with it and we're going to move on with our lives. And you know what? That's fine. I'm just I'm not worried about Kirill Kaprizov. I don't know what the more way I can say it, but I just think when you look at it, there it's still just way too early. They've only played what six games on the season so far, something like that, not even. Uh, so they really shouldn't be worried about Kaprizov. And I don't think the contract's in its head. I really don't. He's got the assists, but he's going to get some goals. He just got to give him more time. And when he does, he's going to break through with like a three goal game or a two goal game, or he's gonna he's just gonna have a really good per, uh, performance. If he gets hot, and that's the thing is the Wild aren't the Wilder are the Wilder playing well, I should say. Kaprizov is the one who's cold, and once either Kaprizov gets going in the Wild, regress back to the mean, or the Wild still play hot and Kaprizov also plays hot. Well, that's just going to add another level to your team and make it just harder for you uh, for you to beat. So I I like a real Kaprizov's chances. I'm not going to sit there and say, oh my gosh, he's a bust. Oh my gosh, this free agent signing was bad. Oh my gosh, you know, like, look what we did. We're in trouble. You know, come back to me like the all-star break or maybe even a month from now. Now it's just still way too early to really be making any kind of big impressions or making any kind of big decisions or narratives based off of Kaprizov's contract at this point. All right. Well, let's uh, take a look here as we are uh, going through our teams right now. Let's take one look here at the uh, at the Gophers here as they're getting ready to take on uh, Northwestern this weekend. And it's the thing with Northwestern that P.J. Fleck has already talked about this week, and you can tell he has because the players are also saying it, which is Northwestern. Um, you know, Northwestern is a good team and they are very disciplined and they won the big 10 West last year. So we shouldn't take them for granted and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, that's nice, but you really should go into this game and win. There really is no, there really is no other way, uh, to go about it other than you should be, you're expected to win this game. You should just go in and do it. It's on the road, but you know, you were on the road a couple of years ago in Northwestern. You were able to win. That was later in the season, but it's a 2:30 game. Go into Nebraska, uh, Northwestern, excuse me. Go win because Northwestern right now they got some own issues. They got some of their own issues to work to work on here with uh, with their football team. And I don't know. I just Northwestern is a team that doesn't scare me, but they're also a team that you could totally see the Gophers losing to in the sense of that the Gophers really try and just think that they can just run out the clock on them with the running backs that they've had this year, that they can just run the clock out. And not that the running backs are bad, but just that they're not going to be able to get as much of the job done as P.J. Fleck is counting on them to get done because it's a lot of pressure to put on some of these running backs to get done. And so I guess that's the only way I can see the Gophers losing this game on Saturday is if they decided to do the Bowling Green strategy of let's just score two touchdowns 
Let's score 10 points and hope that the other team scores 9 or less. Like, that doesn't work. And especially when your team is capable of scoring more than 10 points against the... Minnesota's offense was capable of scoring way more than 10 against Bowling Green. They just chose not to. They chose not to put their foot in the gas pedal, and P.J. Fleck got bit in the behind, and he got bit hard. That's his worst loss as the Gopher head coach. Worst loss. So now if you're P.J. Fleck, you got to look then and say, okay, don't do that again. Avoid that strategy at all costs and just go out and win. Now, the problem is, is they don't trust Tanner Morgan, but they keep sending him out there because he's the because he knows how to run the offense. And until the Gophers really just – I mean, look at the Vikings. They, they oh, Now, Kirk Cousins obviously a better passer than Tanner Morgan, but then again, Tanner Morgan isn't going up against the same defenses, which is trust your quarterback a little more, trust your offense to get the stuff done that they need to get done, and let things fall into place from there. But be more aggressive, be more trusting, and if P.J. Fleck and Mike Zimmer did that Minnesota football – one, the Gophers would be in a very better place than they are right now, but even the Vikings would be way better off than they are at this point. So that's my one message for P.J. Fleck and the Gophers. Don't take Northwestern lightly, or you will end up with another Bowling Green situation. All right, well, that's going to do it for us here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast here for today. we got a football Friday coming up for you tomorrow night. The Wild, of course, play tonight at 9, and we work our way closer to the Gophers and Vikings football games this weekend. You're listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.